todo el mundo. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the documentary The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. This is your destination for all things rock, where the interviewees include musicians, authors, historians, filmmakers, and more. And now, on to the show. My guest today is Nils Goldschmidt, a Chilean-born Las Vegas-based bassist whose band Velvet Chains has been tearing it up everywhere they play, and even made the top of Spotify's Rock This list recently with their single Last Drop. Appropriately enough, Nils's drink in the Rock and Roll Nightmares recipe book Rock Tales is also called Last Drop. I can't wait to find out more about Nils and Velvet Chains, so I'm going to get them on the line right now. Hi, Nils. Welcome to the show. Hey, Stacy. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to have you here because I've watched your band a few times and you're in Rock Tales, as I mentioned in the intro. So I wanted to get to know you better and introduce you to my listeners. So I guess the first question would be, uh, where did you grow up and what made you fall in love with rock music, first as a fan and then as a musician? Yeah, great question. And thank you for having me on on your book. That was really, really a great experience. Super yeah, fun. it's really been well received. It's so much fun. Yeah. So I'm originally from Santiago, Chile, South America. And um, a lot of people know, some people don't know, the southern cone of South America. So Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, and so on. It's all rock and roll country, or at least it used to be. Now, uh, urban music has taken over ah, <laughs> reggaeton okay. quite a bit, but it's still maybe the older generations. It's all rock and roll. So, yeah, I grew up down there. I uh, the first notion of of a band that I have is Guns N' Roses. So I remember seeing uh, posters in my sister's uh, bedroom of uh rock stars right from the 80s and, and mm-hmm. so on and so that it was just natural for me to gravitate towards uh music and you know i had an older sibling so whatever she listened to oh this must be the cool thing and and so on so yeah definitely that was a big part of it and also i grew up playing the violin i played it for like eight nine ten years i don't recall but i started around age five so until 14, 15 years old, 
um that was my thing it was playing violin to be honest with you i i i never really enjoyed it because as i got older when i was a kid it was fine but as i got older and i wanted to uh meet girls and, and party and hang out nobody really was interested at least none of the girls were interested in a violin player right the guitar players were the cool cats so i kind of like started seeing i'm not having fun with this thing and, and eventually i stopped but regardless of that uh unexpected experience with it it's my foundation at the end of the day i i've grew up since being a very very small kid with music in me in a way well, you mentioned that you wanted to move on to more rock style star instruments. Uh, did you learn to play guitar? Or was the bass your first choice? No. So I remember being a kid and telling my mom, hey, I don't I don't know about violin. It's not my thing. I want to play guitar. And she was like, no, no, violin. It's a thing. And uh, you'll be smarter. And, you know, back in the day, <laughs> it was like if you grew up listening to like Beethoven or whatever, you're going to be smarter in school. It was those times when people would just like, oh, the kid needs to listen to Beethoven. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But uh, eventually it wasn't really an option. Um, and yeah, as a teenager, I moved on to other things like <laughs> partying and, uh, <laughs> you know, and I never really gravitated. I, I, I loved rock and roll, obviously, but I never really said, hey, I'm going to try my hand at this. It just wasn't really an option. I guess I was young enough that my mom or my dad may have said, no, 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 guitar's not for you. You know, violin is the thing that I may have been like, oh, okay. If mom and dad said that, then it must be gospel, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So had I been a little older, I would have probably said, screw that. I'm going to grab it and try it anyway. But yeah, I was young enough to still be listening to my parents. And uh, no, later on, fast forward in the U.S. already, uh, at one point, I, I just got this overwhelming feeling like I got to get back into music. I got to get back into music, not not with a violin, but I I, I needed to do this. So one day I, uh, I picked up a guitar somewhere. I probably bought one at a pawn shop. I don't recall. And I said, I'm going to try this thing. And I found a teacher to uh show me the basics and uh it seemed like the most unnatural thing for me i'm like wait six strings and you gotta do it with these weird shapes with your fingers and uh i mean i was able to bust out some chords and play some really simple stuff but i wasn't really moving forward much until one day my teacher at the time he's like hey man why don't you try this? And he gives me a bass. And it was like, uh, whoa, this feels like home. Because essentially, while the violin and the bass are, are very different instruments in the role they play within a group of, uh, in a band or an orchestra ensemble or whatever, the, the violin is more like the lead guitar, right? And the, the bass is more like the cello or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody will debate me on that. But um <laughs> It just felt like home where, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't have the bass on my shoulder and my neck and my chin, but I had it down here where you were uh, an electric bass. And it just felt like home, one finger at a time, uh, one string at a time. And yeah, granted, you can play the craziest chords and things on bass, but when you're learning it and, and you can be competitive enough and play in a band uh, quickly with bass. And sure, you can, again, take it to the next level and become Jaco Pastorius or, or Flea or whatever, right? But it felt so natural. And I'm like, quickly, I, I it was like love at first sight. And I'm like, this, this is the thing. This is what I got to do. 
And uh, yeah, and I, I've never looked back since. I mean, we do have some of the coolest bassist of all time, I think, living in Las Vegas right now. Um, Tony Franklin is one who I saw performing back when he was in uh, Jimmy Page's band, The Firm, and he did yeah. the most amazing bass solos. I mean, as a non-musician, he really helped me to hear what the bass can do. Um, so I'm wondering, like, have you met a lot of the other bassists in town? I'm sure you have. And and kind of what is the vibe of the music community here in your experience? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love Tony, the fretless monster. That's what they call him. I met him once a few <laughs> yeah. years ago. Super cool cat. Um, the whole different level of musician, right? We're talking somebody that can play with Jimmy Page, right? That's uh, that's that's amazing. Incredible. If I'm half of as good as him one day, I will have made it. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, it must be inspirational, though, to, you know, have all these great people in town so close so you can see them perform just about any time. Oh, 100 percent. No. And I, I, I love soaking it all in because one of my things is I always say if I'm the most interesting person in the room, I got to get the hell out of that room. <laughs> and it's, it makes me very like I feel comfort and discomfort. It's weird. But if I'm surrounded by people that are significantly more successful in something I'm pursuing, that's when it, it makes me very uncomfortable, but that's when I'm at my best. It's real cool to be in Vegas because we're close enough to LA. There's a lot of people moving here because of the cost of living, because there's a growing, almost, I don't know, thriving, but yeah, really, really up and coming community of musicians that have come here from LA and other yeah. places too. And a lot of people that move here from LA are tired of the, uh, I, I got nothing against LA. I love LA. I you know, there's a lot of people that say it's fake and this and that. And I, I could see that. I could see that. It, it doesn't bug me like it bugs other people. But um, a lot of people that move here, there's something that they're more down to earth and they're more real is, I guess, the term or whatever it is, which which is cool, which is very cool. And they're looking for something a little bit different. And I think they can find it here. And it, it benefits all of us because, hey, if I can surround myself with people like him or I don't know, Todd Kearns comes to mind also. And, uh, you know, there's 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 many more. I could start naming a bunch. But it just elevates all of us who are trying to 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 do similar things, who are trying to get to their level and so on. And all of these guys, I found that the more successful they are, the less they have some to prove and the friendlier they are and the, the more sure of themselves. They, they're just nice people. And if they can elevate somebody else and show them a thing or two or hang or whatever it is, they're happy to do it now. On the flip side, if if a lot of aspiring musicians sometimes can be a little bit uh, self-centered and intimidated by competition and so on. So like any scene, you'll find that too. But hey, if you're not an asshole, a lot of these guys will open their arms and just, you know, they appreciate a good hang. So yeah, I'm loving, I'm loving Vegas for all the music scene that's in here. Me too. Um, well, I'm wondering who are some of the musicians that influenced your own sound? Yeah, we were just talking about this. Inevitably, I got to say, my, my sound is really a mix of three of them, mostly. And um, Duff McKagan, right, from Guns. Um, oh, yeah. Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. And, and uh, Rob DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots. I've uh, I've met Rob, and, and we opened for Stone Temple Pilots just uh, a couple months ago in, in Rio, in Brazil. That was killer. Uh, I've never met Flea and and I wish I did someday, but and then uh, Duff, I've never met him either. Uh, but those are definitely my influences. I'm a little bit of a different type of bassist where 
you will find bassists that'll mention the Jaco Pastorius of the world and mm -hmm. and just so many up and up amazing amazing technically and this and that for me I'm a, I'm a simpler guy I just want to have great sound play great music and I don't need to be able to do these crazy acrobatics <laughs> with my fingers <laughs> on the bass you know what I mean I just want my bass playing is is centered about serving the song and uh I know my role within the band I'm the bridge between the drums the, the rhythm section right and the mm -hmm. and and the guitars and the vocals and um yeah I like to shine by just doing my job and and doing it well but again I'm not I'm probably never going to be some technical virtual nobody's going to write a book about me maybe you will do it because you, you're cool <laughs> and you can feel yeah, generous and you're like ah poor guy let's just do yeah, one for it'll him. be a, a rock and roll nightmares uh, ah, there, we go. there we go but yeah nobody's going to do a documentary on my bass playing and it's not it's not what i look uh what, what it's not me that's that's not that's not me <laughs> well the band does sound very tight and you all work together so well as a unit. Um, but the current lineup of Velvet Chains is different from its first iteration. So um, who's in the band now and how have they changed or enhanced the sound from maybe its first uh, lineup? Yeah, so uh, me, obviously, I'm the founder and bass player. So I'm the only constant in the band. Mm -hmm. I have to say one day, I'll piss them all off and they'll <laughs> go home. <laughs> pirate mutiny on me and, and then you <laughs> will me be out. doing bass solos <laughs> that's right <laughs> i'll be a solo bass musician uh no hopefully that'll never happen but we got our lead singer roe viper he uh we got our, our drummer jason hope we got our rhythm guitar player lahi cassiano and we got our lead guitar player burton carr and uh it's i i, I believe i feel like i've i've been able to put together a killer group of people that not only are they great musicians, great looks, great stage presence, great writing abilities. They're just great people overall. They're good people. We all get along great. We all understand where we're going, what the goal is, what we're all rowing towards. And uh, that's all that matters because I could put together five virtuosos and they all end up hating each other, competing with each other, wanting different things. But no, it's a solid group of dudes. Yeah, I mean, you guys have to spend a lot of time with each other, so you might as well like each other. Now, how did you find, I mean, do you have a technique for getting uh, band members? Do you audition them or are they recommended or people that you know? I mean, how does that uh, happen yeah. for you? At every stage of the band, it's been a little bit different initially. Mm. I put something on an ad on Craigslist. This is 2018 around there. And it just kind of said, hey, let's uh, do a cover band. Let's play bars and uh, yeah, just have fun and play the music that we love. And uh, and it literally said, like, I don't care if you are. And people have mentioned this to me because they thought it was funny. And I got some haters also on there. But I'm like, I don't care if you're um muslim christian satanist i don't care if you're straight <laughs> gay bi trans like i don't care about anything all i want is responsible people that'll show up right decent, technically one of the most difficult things to find isn't it yeah like please don't have any 
addictions. I mean, we all like to drink and whatever else you do in the privacy or your home is none of my business, but don't don't bring it over here in excess. And uh, uh, let's just have a blast and let's get along. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of worked out for the first iteration of the band and it served a purpose. And as things progressed and we moved on to different challenges and then we came an original band and then the pressure was on because they're bigger goals and bigger things to achieve and more time consuming. And that's what um, caused me to have to make some changes. And none of the changes came out of the blue, like, Hey, we're done. No, it was a process. It was at least from six months to a year in the making of, Hey, we need to do this better. We need to do that better. And things weren't happening. Then I, I was forced to find other uh, alternatives and not, not everything went, that way um some were a little bit different but not to get into too many details but it worked out we all we we've all gotten along great and even some of the ba uh, band members who are no longer band members we still get along great so it's uh it's been it's been a process as we achieve more things it's become easier i guess but yes there, there there's always an audition process there's also a hang process we need to make sure, hey, you could be the best guitar player, you could be the best drummer, whatever. But if I got to spend time with you or we all got to spend time with each other, more importantly, you got to be a good hang. And, and it takes a little bit of time to really get to know people. So we, we we took it slow, but I do believe that we have a killer, a killer lineup right now. You sure do. Um, Burton Carr is the newest member of the band, right? Yeah. Yeah. He he did uh, Latin America, the small tour that we did uh, with us. That was part of his uh, probationary period, per se, <laughs> yeah, or whatever you want to call it. I don't know the exact term, but uh, yeah, he uh, he's such a cool dude. He's he's literally such a kick ass dude, and um, I can't I can't surround myself with people that I don't look up to. You know, I look up to him. I look up to all my guys, and yeah, we we came back and we had a discussion and we agreed on everything, and and yeah, he's our latest uh, and greatest lead guitar player. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, now, a while back, you mentioned in an interview that Velvet Chains recorded Last Drop with a producer who helped you kind of morph the track in order to create a more relevant sound. So what does that mean, relevant, in terms of, of what you're doing? Yeah, so our, our first record, Icarus, which we actually removed um, recently, uh, maybe three months ago or so, and we re-recorded three songs with Roe because originally Roe was not our our original singer, right? Originally, uh -huh. he wasn't the original singer. That's quite redundant. <laughs> but uh, the first record was recorded with uh, Jerry at the time. And that was more of a concept album. We were trying to prove if we were able to make an album as an original band that had just made the transition from being a cover band and so on. And we put some together. And there were some cool songs, a couple of cool songs. The ones that we re-recorded, we liked the most. And then the other ones, we just took it off because it really didn't represent us. It was, again, more of a, a challenge. Can can we do this? And we did. And um, then on the next set of songs... We said, okay, what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to just put random music out that's not necessarily well produced or not produced at all and just, you know, whatever we vomited out? Mm -hmm. Or do we want to be a relevant band? And we said, yeah, let's uh, go find a producer that can elevate us to that. So we had the usual process. We work with a guy called Drew Lawrence out of LA. It's not always um, with him, but 80% of our songs start with him. And he's a composer. And we talk about sound and melodies and influences. And 
we write lyrics together and we come up with a demo. A demo is a very simple demo. It sounds a lot like Coldplay. It sounds very, very melodic. There's piano behind it. Sometimes there's other instruments that are done with a keyboard, but you know, through logic, they end up sounding like a guitar or drums, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then we grab that and um, we said, hey, the Turcos are in town and these guys are working with top talent. Let's reach out. So we ended up um, chatting with Kane Churko and gave him last drop and that was the first song that we did and i mean he killed it he turned that into something that you could listen to in the radio on sirius octane active rock or any on kiss fm whatever any radio station or our uh, local radio stations which we uh -huh. love um and and I, I credit him with helping us find our, our sound because we said we did a couple more songs with him along the same lines we tried another uh a couple producers for other songs like back of train for example that's a, we love that song. We love to play it. It's killer rock and roll, but it's very 2000s. It's very Velvet Revolver-ish. Where Last Drop, you could say, hey, that sounds more like Shinedown, Motionless in White, uh, Memphis Mayfire. They're more commercial stuff, not their harder stuff. And uh, we said, we got it. We should build upon this thing. This is the sound. And let's see where we can take it to the next level. So Kane Cherko uh, agreed to work with us. Love the guy uh incredible um producer musician incredible person and really he's the guy who helped us find our sound so yeah hopefully that answers the question hello everyone could i please have your attention let's take a quick break to listen to last drop Oh! 
That was Last Drop by Velvet Chains. Isn't it great? You should hear it live if you get the chance. But now, back to the podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like a producer really can be another member of the band in a way. Oh, 100%. 100%. They're so important. I didn't know when I first got into doing originals. I didn't know the value that they bring. And sometimes they they are the sixth member, but even more, it's almost like they have the they're in tune with what works and what doesn't. And we're all heavily influenced by what we like and we all want our say on the song. And, uh-huh. and the producer serves the purpose to say, well, yes and no. Yes, this. No, that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, it's like a mediator uh, also. Yeah. yeah. Part of the band, but a part and able to look with um, totally. some perspective. Yeah, totally. I, I understand that. So uh, the last time I saw you guys perform, you did Suspicious Minds, which of course is a very famous Elvis song. And I love it when bands kind of take an old song and put their own spin on it and you really rocked it out. So uh, do you plan on recording that? And also I'm curious, like why Elvis? Why do you think his music is so adaptable to different bands? Because, you know, the Pet Shop Boys did a really cool synth version of Always On My Mind. And there have been some covers that are really quite striking. Yeah. Um, Thank you for liking it. I'm I'm so glad it was so well received. So thank you for that. We... Mm it's already being recorded. Oh, okay. We're waiting to do a, a music video for it. And, but most likely we're going to be releasing that in January next year. We're going to start releasing music now in the next two months or so, probably do three releases for the rest of the year. And then January that, and then we have another five or six throughout every couple of months or so. We'll, we'll start throwing stuff out, um, uh, putting it on streaming and so on. So yeah, that, uh, how did we get to that? So one day we were watching Sunday service from Franzilla. He's the lead singer for the band Attila. And mm-hmm. uh, we sent him a couple of our videos and he played them on his channel uh, on Twitch. And uh, he saw what we do. He saw Last Drop and he's like, oh man, I love these guys. They're like, they're totally strip club metal. They're from Vegas, strip club metal. And that kind of stuck. And I'm like, wait, we're a Vegas band. That's right. We should milk that. <laughs> we're strip club <laughs> metal. So we had been talking to a few producers saying hey we want to do a cover thing we we don't want to be known as a one-hit wonder like a lot of those bands that come out and do these covers and uh that's all they're known for so we wanted to make sure that if we're gonna uh, release something that's as great as something done by the king of rock and roll that at the same time we have new music that'll come before and after that that is at that level too or at least we feel it is so that we don't end up being, oh, their only good song is that cover they did and everything else is, is meh. You know what I mean? So now we have that song ready to go. We have a bunch of other songs that I think are killer. But the way we got to that specific song is one of the producers that we worked with, the one that we re-recorded those three songs from the original album. His name is Jim Kaufman out of uh, L.A. We went to him and we said, hey, man, we're looking. Do you have any ideas? We're looking for a... A solid song it's got to be somewhat deep lyrics got to be good it can't be just some basic you know simple song and immediately he said suspicious minds by elvis and i knew that song obviously but yeah you knew the chorus of it but then I, I i went to listen to it and i heard the lyrics and i'm like oh yeah this makes sense now he's a huge elvis fan in his studio he's got a huge uh, picture of elvis and for us it's like and we're from vegas and we're yeah. we a strip club metal we could do some good with this, right? And uh, we made sure that it was our sound. 
sound also. So what you heard, it's very, it's like type O negative meets Elvis, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we wanted to keep it along those lines. And, and that's what I believe we ended up with. So yeah, we played it live. We played it live in Latin America also during our tour. But yeah, the recorded version is so killer. I listen to it all the time and I can't wait to release that thing. It's so good. Oh, wow. I will definitely be adding that one to my playlist come January. Thank you. And you know what? It seems like everybody loves it because the crowds in Chile, in Brazil, they loved it. Everybody knows that song all Mm -hmm. over the world. So people here of all ages, I've had people that are 18 years old to people that are 75 and they all love it. So yeah, it's, it's, it came out real good. Yeah. Brilliant choice. Um, Well, even though you have a great publicist, our mutual friend, Mitch Schneider of SROPR, who was actually on this show uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh Um, But anybody who's in a creative endeavor these days, uh, whether you're a musician, an author, an artist, I mean, so much of the marketing is up to you. Um, But a lot of creative people are not really cut out for marketing. So how do you find that balance? Because I understand that you've also run a business that's totally apart from music. Is that, you know, kind of how you're able to do so well? Yeah, I think I don't know if we do well with our marketing, to be honest (laughs) with you. you I mean, Mitch is a, a crucial part of it. And we love him. Um, but there's so much more to it, like our social media and uh, doing interviews like this is so much fun. I just did one uh, with Brazil right before you. But it's it's we got to make sure that we're constantly doing these things and yeah. uh, out there and meeting people and meeting fans. And it's there's a lot, a lot to do. So on the Mitch side, incredible. Everything else, I, this interview, amazing. All the other stuff we do, ah, it's uh, yeah, open to interpretation. But <laughs> well, social media is just like a constantly hungry stomach wanting to digest, you know, things oh, yeah. constantly, and that must be difficult. Do you do that all yourself as the leader of the band, or do you have um, yeah. opinions <laughs> that help you? I- I handle the account. I haven't been I haven't been able to find uh, a company or anybody that's cost effective to uh-huh. to pass that on to. I've found the cost effective thing, but the cost thing I found it's not effective. I found the effective thing, the cost doesn't make sense. So it's such a tough thing. So for now I do it. I do a half-assed job at it. I wish I had more time to do it better. We don't do any TikTok at all, which is terrible. But um yeah, I guess more than my ability to do it, my the fact that I realize that we need to do these things is most likely from my business background. And yes, I do run um I do run a business and um it's uh it's given me the ability to be conscious of how to make uh an organization work. I don't want to call Velvet Chains a business by any means, but if we want to make any comparisons, we're like a startup. And I've had startups before and and I know how to get them them off the ground. Now, the music industry, it's a whole different, it's not different, it's just tougher. And Mm. there's a lot to consider. And it's very, very, very expensive to do a lot of things to achieve goals. And anything you do, no matter how much money you have, it doesn't guarantee that you're actually going to blow up. So it's 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 definitely not um easy. It is seem it seems more challenging than any other business I've been involved in. But yeah, I've I've used the word challenge several times during this call and I love I love one. I love a challenge. So bring it on. The fun part, I'm sure, is once you get on stage. So I'm just curious as a non-performer, um, what is the feeling or ambiance of playing at, say, a big festival where you recently did and you're probably performing to new fans or people who haven't heard you before. 
And then that of a smaller club like Count Spamped um, here in Las Vegas, where you already have a loyal fan base, but it's not as huge of a crowd. I mean, what is the, the different energy? Does that affect your performance? Oh, yeah, 100%. So keep in mind that playing festivals is we, we've done uh, one, two, three, four, five between festivals and big uh, theater kind of shows. We've done, I believe, five, six of them, seven of them, something like that. So they're still kind of new compared to the Count Spamped and, and venues like that. We've done many 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 shows like that um we love playing at counts vanth by the way we love that place they're so nice and kind to us and the sound and everything everything's so professional there they're such great people yeah but uh so the other thing is a little bit new to us so we're still like oh shiny new toy when we do other thing now granted you will never see us without a smile on our faces when we're playing it could be playing um at home to my dog or it could be playing to (laughs) ten thousand people or whatever but um yeah that's that's what makes it all worthwhile you know and i wonder what kind of issues we all have that we need that kind of attention right like what's wrong with us <laughs> well it's always good to get immediate feedback and not wonder you know what people right. think as maybe a filmmaker or an author they put something together over such a long course of time True. and then it goes out and you don't get a live response 100% and uh so much depends on 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 the crowd, right? If you're playing to a crowd, we will still have a smile on our faces because given the choice to be on a stage with a mediocre crowd or with an incredible crowd, we're still going to say, or, or nothing, we're going to say, no, we'll do the mediocre one if that's the only option we got or or, or nothing, right? So it's mm-hmm. there's nothing better than being on that stage playing to people. But um, yeah, it, if the crowd is full on engaged and they're loving what they're hearing, it just exponentially... Uh, affects us and we just put on a better performance just subconsciously at some level now if the crowd is like not really into it or or they they came to see a different band that they're not really we're opening they're not interested in us then we can feel it too but we'll still have fun even if we're just staring at each other and having a good time so (laughs) you want to win them over right so they're excited about seeing you next time right there's no scenario where we would rather not be playing on stage i suppose well, as a, a relatively new band, uh, Velvet Chains has opened for and shared the stage with some really famous musicians and bands. So can you name some of them? I know you mentioned Stone Temple Pilots a while back. Um, any fun stories to share? Or have you met any of your heroes? We've, uh, yeah, I mean, we opened for the Winery Dogs a couple of times. We opened for STP. We opened for St. Asonia which is the band from the previous singer of three day grace, I believe. And we've opened for LA guns and uh, uh, the biggest one of all the mighty Todd Kearns. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love Todd. That was a great show. He is was, so yeah, talented. We, oh my God. That guy's uh, yeah. Next level. And uh, we've opened for him, I think three or four times. And yeah, we, that's a gig we will always do. I don't care if we're the biggest band in the universe one day, I'm exaggerating. Right. But that'll <laughs> never happen. But um, we will always open for Todd. Um, love that guy. And uh, we've opened for Crashing Wayward, up and comers, um, kind of like us, right? They, they yeah, basically... they're fabulous too. Yeah, like yeah. I said, the music scene here in Las Vegas is great. I've seen more really good live music here in just a few years than I did 10 years in LA. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so cool. I mean, 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, well, part of the reason is just that it's so much more fun to actually go to a concert here because you're not stuck in traffic and then paying $40 for parking. And, you know, it's just like the, everything that goes with living in LA makes it somewhat less fun to, until you actually get there. So yeah, it's part of 100%. what I love, but also just the fact that there are so many venues that are open to, um, bands like you and crashing wayward and and then it's a mix of well-known people like todd kearns or last in line as another great band that plays around here so yeah. it's really been fun yeah no it's it's such an honor to open for all of them and look anybody that gives us the opportunity to get our music in front of their fans we just it's hard for us to say no and it, we're so thankful for it so yeah love all these people they in the end they're supporting us so it's been great yeah, yeah, it has. Now, uh, here comes the question that I almost always ask, and we're going to go from joy to <laughs> rock and roll nightmares. Do you have a rock and roll nightmare? Uh, <laughs> it's hard to define a rock and roll nightmare, but um, I may or may have not gotten into a scuffle with, uh, I'm not, I can't name the band, with with the tour manager for one of the, uh, these bigger bands that I mentioned oh. uh, over... Uh, over our uh what was it what's it called over our backdrop but yeah i'll leave it at that but i it may have been, it, nothing physical but it was it got kind of nasty but we figured uh we figured it out we became homies and uh that's all that matters so it ended up being great so little things like that if you, you'd understand why it, it i do consider it a rock and roll nightmare if i went into details but i really don't want to go into details so all that matters is that that was figured out very quickly and we're all good friends now and ah, fair enough yeah well, now you mentioned that you're eking out songs little by little, which is a completely different release model than it used to be uh, back in the day before social media and sort of your direct access to fans. But um, what is coming up next for you and what is the best place for people to find and follow you online? Yeah, up next, we want to put together a tour. We want to go out of the country again next year. We want to do something here. Um in the US, we definitely want to go around with uh, uh, more mainstream bands opening for them. Uh, we have about eight, nine songs coming out, four or five music videos. Even this weekend, we're filming a music video here in town. And uh, we're working really, really hard right now to have uh, really cool stuff to show the fans. And the best way to find us is our music, Spotify, Apple Music, and pretty much everything else. That's, we're on every platform. And YouTube, stay tuned for really cool videos. Instagram, we're always communicating with our fans on Instagram. So our account there is at Velvet Chains Band. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm really easy to get a hold of. So if I'm, I'm the one, at least for now, handling the band's account. So hit me up. Be, I would right. love to hear from from all anyone. Fans, not fans, future fans, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Nils, for being on the show. It's really great to chat with you. Stacy, thank you so much for the opportunity. You're the best. I love hanging with you. And uh, so could it be on this. Yeah. So thank see you. you next show. This concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Remember, there's a book series too. All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R-O-C-K-N-R-O-L-L-Nightmares.com. Our official theme song is She's Out for Blood, 
by Fuzzbuster, founded by Lars Cabot. Thank you for listening. Wish you